everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher, and I'm so glad you're all here with us today for episode 120. Kathy's on vacation. Kathy, we wish you sunshine and warmth and relaxation and a lot of fun. And we look forward to you being back with us next time. One of my favorite authors is on with us today. We have an interview with Linda Leo Miller. When I started my sight loss journey, I went back to college and was introduced to talking book and listened to textbooks. Then I listened to spiritual self-help, some biographies. And a few years later, when I finally allowed myself to listen to fiction, I was introduced to Linda Lale Miller's books. I was hooked immediately and followed every series. I've read almost all of her books, and I am thrilled that she's here with us today. We also have another guest with us today. A lot of times we wonder, where's Lisa G? Because Lisa has called in from different countries. She's called in from the dentist chair. She's even called us when she was in a kayak in the pouring rain with a friend. But today, guess what? Lisa G is right here with us. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> never know where I'll be. It's New Zealand next month. May I okay. first send everyone listening and your families good health and joy to your core in 2024. <laughs> I would like to thank Cheryl for the honor of filling in for Kathy, and we wish Kathy a fantastic time on her vacation. Now, for the sake of time our esteemed, of our esteemed author, we will share our responses to the writing prompt once we are off ACB Media. So thank you for your patience in that. Due to Cheryl's tenacity in pursuing this much sought after interview, Writing Works Wonders is honored and proud to introduce a number one New York Times and USA Today best-selling author, Linda Leo Miller. We are so excited you are here. Thank Linda, you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you. Linda is the author of over 100 historical and contemporary novels. Linda Lyle Miller has an indelible love of the Western United States after growing up in Northern Washington State. Her rich background leads her readers on a journey to life in the Western United States as she weaves relatable characters in her romantic, compelling novels. Our blind and low vision community should be thrilled to learn that most of her books are on board. Cheryl, <laughs> take it away. Thank you. Linda, thank you for accepting our invitation. I am just delighted to be here. Writing is kind of a lonely life, so I enjoy these interviews and chats. Is there anything that you would like us all to know? I'm a dog person. I love all animals, especially dogs, cats, and horses. And um, 
I love seeing your your dogs in the pictures. I I love every dog. <laughs> I have a hobby of diamond painting because that helps me kind of unwind staring at a screen and writing words. So that's about it. Pretty much a regular writer, I think. Thank you. Hopefully yeah. I won't bore you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you kidding? No way. We are so glad that you're here with us. Your books take place in the Western part of the country. How do you make sure that your facts are authentic? Because well, you do such a great mixture of them. I've studied, I'm, I've read tons of, of historical novels, uh, everything from Louis L'Amour to Ulysses S. Grant's autobiography. I have just a lot of those facts tucked away. If I have a doubt, though, I will investigate online. I remember that I've been at this a while, and in the early days, you had to go to the library and go through all these books and maybe look on the film. So we, we have it much easier in respect to historical accuracy. We're very fortunate. Those old encyclopedias that we all had in our houses, too. <laughs> Absolutely. I had the whole set. Your books have independent, strong women. How do you keep them also authentic to the era that they're in so that it's believable? I probably stretch that a little. I think women uh, Mm -hmm. were much more subdued in terms Mm -hmm. of stating their opinions and all of that. But then we had the the women who started the suffrage movement and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, all kinds of strong women. It's a combination of the two. And honestly, part of it is imagination in terms of historicals. Now, I like to think I'm a strong woman myself. My friends are strong women. And so I'm kind of inclined that way anyway. But I feel a personal responsibility to use strong women that can take care of themselves. And the reason is that a lot of young readers, uh, maybe they're, they're, some of them are too young, they... <laughs> They need an example, and I feel a responsibility. I don't want to show some wimpy woman, and they're facing challenges. I was fortunate to be raised in a very solid home. We were four, but my folks were good parents, and not everybody has that modeled for them. And oftentimes, I think young people, I know I did, they pick up some of the traits that they read about in books if they admire somebody Um, especially like Scarlett O'Hara. It was partly you admired her for her spunk, but also you thought she was an idiot, you know? (laughs) At least I did because, you know, Rhett Butler, uh, as opposed to Ashley Wilkes, excuse me, to me there is no question there. The primary reason is that I want my characters to set a good example for people. Thank you. We had Eloisa James on with us, Mary Bly, with us last uh, month, and she told us she's a good friend of yours. So much admiration for her. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. We write in completely different genres, as you probably yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, neat. Um, Lisa, over to you. Linda, I'd like to commend you on your imagination and inspiring women to be strong. I so admire that about you and your books. I'd like to ask you, how do you create new characters? And are they a reflection of a person you know or a person in history? Will you be introducing any of these new characters in any upcoming books? Well, I always introduce new characters. And yes, I have a plethora of new characters coming up in many uh, books. 
As to how I create them, the first part of a book that comes to me is the character. So they show up, you know, and I have a couple of characters and then a situation and that's the beginning of the book. So I will add traits like we've been talking about the strength. So my women are always independent. And by that, I mean, if they don't get together with the hero, they're not going to die. <laughs> they're still going to have a nice, successful life. It's just that it would be real nice with this guy. Creating them, I, I'll do a trick. I learned Debbie Maycumber, who's my best friend, and I do this where uh, we do this thing called the list of 20 that we learned years and years and years ago at a, a motivational conference. And it was um, taught by Brian Tracy. And he said, do a list of 20 and, and apply to anything. So Debbie and I would do 20 things that might happen in this story when we're doing the outline, 20 things that might happen in this chapter or even this scene, depending on how stuck we were. And Debbie's never stuck, but I do sometimes. 20 things I know about this character. So probably in practical terms, that's the best and closest answer to how I do it. I want to know what her childhood was like, not extensively, but did she come from a conventional home or was it dysfunctional for some reason? And if, if so, how? What was her education? Of course, what's her job? What's her romantic history? Same for the hero. And as for the bad people, I don't have a lot of like heavy duty this town ain't big enough for both of us type villains. Just people that mainly are antagonists, I would say. More so in the historicals. Lately, my publisher prefers contemporary. Uh, I'm still known for Westerns and, and everything I write has a, some kind of Western twi twist to it. But I have a book coming out late next year in hardcover. It's called Where the Creek Bends. It's a bigger novel. It has Western people in it, but it also has an element of time travel. I think I covered the characters. And if you want to know something else, well, feel free to ask me or a clarification. That is great. That's very interesting to find out, you know, how you developed your characters first and you get a really good, strong foundation on them. And then the story takes off from there. Is there anyone that reflects anybody that you know or anybody that you knew in history? Do you have a draw from someone in real life or is it just your amazing imagination? A lot of my friends say that my father stands out in the, those who knew him in the in the heroes. And uh, that's because he was a man of deep integrity. He was a town marshal. So he, he had been a rodeo cowboy and he had fought in the Pacific in World War II. But the main thing he always told us was do the right thing. And my heroes are, you know, come from that. So do the heroines. He just, not literally, but virtually pounded that into our heads. It was so important. Uh, that our word be, uh, you know, our word be our bond and all that old fashioned stuff. <laughs> good so, morals. It was really good morals. Absolutely. I, absolutely. I wish, uh, you know, I'm 74, so times have changed, but I wish that today's kids had it more, uh, more of what we had because it was very different. You portray that in your characters and you give them the sense of strong morals in your characters. And I think that's wonderful, especially, like you said, for young readers. 
they see strong women, but also the morals and their character are so strong. Absolutely. We need Absolutely. more of that. And I appreciate you bringing that to us in, in your Thank beautiful you. books. And it's just so compelling. I really enjoy them. Thank you. Now, many here um, would like to know what motivates you and inspires you to continue writing. I'm getting older, you know, some of my friends are retiring, but I'm just not interested. I've still got the fire. You know, I've got quite a few ideas that I want to write. And so I guess when I finally wear out, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't so, know, but I that creative urge is still very much a part of me. Let me ask you, are there any specific techniques or rituals that you follow? Some authors have certain things that they, do, you know, that maybe uh, they do to keep motivated or places that they write or things they use when they're writing, trinkets or uh, souvenirs. Is there anything, any tricks of the trade that you have that you'd like to share with us, your personal little secrets possibly? <laughs> Well, when I not none of the talesmans or anything like that, but on days when I feel reluctant, I tell myself, you only have to write a paragraph and then you can stop, you know, but you have to write a paragraph or even a sentence. I've told this to friends of mine who were blocked and it works, you know. What happens is you write that paragraph and then you revise it a little bit and pretty soon you're going on to the next thing. Uh, one thing I didn't mention before about when we were talking about the characters in the beginning, I write differently than than some of my friends. Now, Debbie writes, she has the whole thing mapped out, even pretty much down to the scene and the twist and the whole thing. Whereas my stories are more organic. And actually, a lot of times, unexpected things happen that I didn't plan and so I usually tell people that it's organic. My characters tell me what's going on. And it's a, it's a strange thing to say, but I'm comforted because my favorite TV series by hands down is Midsummer Murders. And the author, there was, of course, a series of books. And the author, I think her name is Carolyn Graham. She says that too. I, I come up with a situation and a couple of characters, and they tell me what happened. I was so reassured because I felt I must be doing something wrong here, even though, like you said, I've published a lot of books. So uh, actually, I think it's more than 100. I received an award for, for writing 100 books like 20 years ago. So I, I don't count. <laughs> yeah, really? I'm curious to know because I know it's well over 100. It's It's fascinating. Thank you so much. It's got to be over to 200 by now. Oh, I'm sure. I am sure. You know, I, I love, I think the fact that you say, you know, you might have ADHD. I think I do too. And I find it to be a strength in some areas. And I think in your writing, it has, it has really served you well to be able to create so many characters and so interesting and getting into the history and the scenery. Really appreciate that about you. Uh, may I ask you, what role does feedback from readers play in your writing process? Well, you know, I don't see a lot of that. Now I need to get with Jared, my publicity guy, and and help have him help me figure out emails because <laughs> I'm not I'm not a tech tech wizard, but fortunately he is. I used to get a lot of snail mail, but of course that's not big anymore either. Some emails are forwarded to me from from Jared because they go to the website. I don't even look at my reviews on Amazon or any of that because I get upset because I mean, this is like, I'm putting my heart out here. 
Um, and it, it hurts. It's like somebody said your baby was ugly, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. So I am though, I want to expand that. I, I blogged for years. I want to go back to that. I got a lot of feedback that way. And I will encourage readers to email me through the website. Do you think that they will have any um, any inspiration or you would incorporate anything they may contribute, do you think, in the future, possibly? I'm very careful about that because it's, it's tricky. Plagiarism is an issue, uh, and it's something I don't ever want to be accused of. Mm, good point. So and I need to know where my stuff comes from, you know, pretty much <laughs> from the first level. From within, yes. And might I remind you, when somebody is pointing one finger at you, just remember there's three fingers facing them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I don't I, I don't think it's healthy to read reviews because I can have a hundred really people just raving about the book. And then if you're gonna read the good ones, you gotta be uh you gotta read the bad ones. And I don't want to, so I don't read either one. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Now over to our creator of a facilitator. <laughs> oh. Thanks, Lisa. And oh my gosh, I'm, I'm listening to you, uh, Linda. I think, oh yeah, I go around the corner and I have to be roped back in sometimes too. Going around the bend. Okay, get back on track. So I, I do that. That's yeah. I definitely yeah. do that. Yeah, and you know what? That's okay. That's part of who we are as creatives. So thank, I, I think thank so. You. Yeah. 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 Definitely. We're gonna go to questions if that's okay with you. Perfect. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. And Chanel will take over from here. Yes. First up, we have Jane T. Then Carol Mackey. Hello to all of you and Linda Lale Miller. You were one of the first authors I was brave enough to catch some sex. And it was, it fit. It belonged where it belonged. I still treasure Daniel's Bride. That was mm -hmm. the first book of yours I read. And I have always uh, enjoyed remembering and revisiting any of the Springwater um, group. So I love those books. Yeah. Those were inspired by a friendship. I was actually fortunate enough to be friends with Johnny Cash and his wife, June. Well, there you go. So yes. I patterned those characters that the, mm -hmm. the people who ran the station after them. But thank you. That uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear that. And Daniel's Bride was the first book that made the times list. So it's got a special place in my heart. Next up is Carol Mackey, then Deanna Noriega. Thank you. Oh, Linda, I have read, I, I'd like to say I've read all your books, but that's not true, but a goodly number of them. And always I'm looking for what's Linda's next book. And I'm an avid reader, so that comes up often. Um, but my major, I happen to write poetry, which is a little bit different than what you do for sure. Um, but I'm always interested, and everyone's going to laugh that's on this call, because I'm always interested in your writing process. Do you write every day? Do you have at, at 10 o'clock or, you know, get up in the middle of the night to write? Or, or, and do you set a timer? Or do you work on deadlines? How, what is, how do you do it? Because I'm always, I struggle with that myself a bit. All right. Uh, way, but. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to talk over you. No. 
Uh, I write from, I try to be at my computer by nine o'clock. I have a bunch of devotionals and Bible studies and stuff I do before that. So I get up fairly early. I'm a, naturally an early riser anyway. I normally write about 12 pages a day and it takes um, about until about noon and one o'clock at the latest. So it's good. But in case you think that leaves me time to go play golf or do something like that, it does leave me time, but it doesn't leave me energy because it's very writing, as you know, from doing poetry, which I have great admiration and, and respect for that because I don't have that ability. Um, but it's very draining emotionally. I, you When you're creating a story or a poem, you are experiencing you know, I, when I sit down at the computer, everything around me fades away and I'm in a kind of 3D version of the story. You know, I, I, it, it's like I'm right inside of it. And so, uh, yeah, I don't want to meander off. I have a tendency to do that, but thank you for your kind words, first of all, because uh, I really appreciate that. I, I love poetry. I, I haven't, read it extensively, uh, but I, I love and admire it and wish I could do it. <laughs> Thank you. Next is Deanna Noriega. Hi. <laughs> okay. Um, I was curious about, um, it seemed to me that when you were talking about Daniel's Bride, you were talking about how you were drawing it from people you knew and that's the kind of writing I do. Mm. And a lot of times it's it's mental health <laughs> therapy because I can work <laughs> through a problem or an idea or an issue that won't let me rest until I decide what I think about it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's those 2 a.m. sort of thing, 2 a.m. when you can't sleep going, ah. okay. What can I do with this piece of stuff, you know, this situation? And so that's where poetry works for me because I can do that quickly in my head. And, you know, then one of my favorite poems that I'd written, I wrote in the 16 block walk with my guide dog to, from my <laughs> job to the dentist's office. <laughs> Well, that's great. <laughs> you know, so that was um, kind of intrigued me because as a, as a person who writes historicals, I do read historicals because I like to find out um, things about what's going on, you know, in the past. And mm -hmm. I want to know true, not glamorized, you know, sort of things. So right. um, I think that that's, that is um, hard to do sometimes without doing a lot of research. So, um, if well, you if, know, I wrote an. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. I wrote a Civil War novel, and I've done research uh, for years on that book, and it, it it did okay, but it didn't sell like my cowboys, my westerns do. Mm -hmm. So, and now, of course, in the today's uh, political climate. It's really it's really easy to um, to offend somebody, um, and mm -hmm. so I've had to stay away from that. But I did do talking about research. I I have been to Gettysburg countless times, and 
and read everything I could get my hands on. It fascinated me. Um, and so I, I do do heavy research on something like that. But like I said earlier, my publisher's kind of discouraging me from doing uh, historical at the moment. The market is in a big shift and none of us know quite where it's going. <laughs> Thank you. Next up, we have Carla Hayes. Hello um, and happy new year. And I'm really enjoying this presentation as usual. And I have um, a question, something you said intrigued me. And that is, you said, um, I get from your conversation that um, you're you're not a, a, a plotter. I don't know if you're a pantser, you know, one that just sort of, you know, lets everything, you know, drive your writing as you go along. But I got the impression that you sort of let your characters um, develop what happens um, in your plot. And so my question to you is, does um, when you start, you have an idea for a, a story, a novel, a book, and you start out, does it often or usually or sometimes turn out very different from what you expected it to be at the beginning when you get to the end? And also, absolutely, it, absolutely. Could... I, it, it goes, I have to give my, uh, I, my, Outlines are short and they're not terribly detailed, but you do have to give the publisher a framework because they have to know that they're not publishing something else similar to that, or they just had a book like that and it fell on its face, that kind of thing. So I have to do a skeletal outline, but it's always with the provision that the story will change because absolutely every time the characters will change direction from what I had planned. Uh, and what I had planned is usually a jumping off point. But early in my career, I had one character who was trying to take over the book. And <laughs> I finally had to tell him, back off, you know, I'll give you your own book, but you got to stop. And, you know, that, so I really identify with what you're saying. Yes, they surprise me all the time. And it's partly, it's one of the things I love most about it. Deanna Noriega. I'm Native American, and I'm also blind. I'm also a senior girl. Um, you know, there's a lot of elements in my life, and I don't have a problem with somebody saying that I'm blind. You know, so if, you know, you had a blind character in your book set in 1840, she'd just be called blind. She wouldn't. Yes, because she wouldn't be called unsighted. She wouldn't be called. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, yeah. So true to the era, I think that you can use words that would not be used um, if you want to be totally politically correct. But political correctness can sometimes lead you way off into the bushes. And you end up my problem with it, you know. Like I said earlier, I don't want to disrespect anybody. I really no. don't. They have like just as you said earlier, they have a lot more connotations than they uh originally did. And yeah. crazy is pretty expansive, you know. It's <laughs> doesn't it can be, uh, refer to an event, it can refer to the way a day went, you know, or a vacation or a job or anything. So, you mm -hmm. know. 
I, I feel a little restricted, but not that I have any great urge to use the word crazy. I'm sure I'll avoid it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, a, it's an example that it can be just as you just said, it can be over. It, it can be overdone. It is tricky to write historicals and stay within political correctness is practically impossible because no matter who, what you write, you're going to make somebody mad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I just try to respect everybody. And even with, when I have a villain or a person who has done something that maybe they shouldn't have, I want to look past that to what made them like that. And I think we have more compassion when we realize that if we could see people's lives and backstories the way God sees them, then we would have a different attitude toward them. And I, that's why I tell people God's the only one qualified to make judgments like that. So mm -hmm. even people who seem bad, are they really bad or are they damaged? I think a lot of the time they're damaged. You had more freedom years ago. And it's not that one is right or wrong there was feel. more freedom and yet some yeah. of it some of it was callous and needed to be changed but but if i'm to write accurately about 1873 then <laughs> is it doreen who i was just talking to um uh, Diana. in 1870 nobody said native american so if you want to make it realistic but to me people are more important than that so Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a reflection on how, yes, we we had more freedom, but a lot of the words we don't use anymore, we shouldn't use. Thank you. And okay. next up, we have Michael Moran. Hi. Uh, Hi. <laughs> good afternoon. Um, if I could get back to the mechanics for a minute, I'm interested to know, when you write, do you edit when it's all done, or do you write, uh, you know, a portion, then edit, or just let somebody else do the editing? I do some revision as I go along, like I will decide I like that word or whatever. Primarily, then the next day, before I write the new pages, I read the pages from the day before, and I do a lot of revision then. Then when the manuscript is finished, my friend and I both read it all the way through, and I revise it again, then the editor at the publishing house has their viewpoints. And finally, there's the copy editor who, they're invaluable because it, it's so crazy how the brain will get in a groove and repeat the same phrase a lot or, or jump back and forth between characters' names. I just ran into that the other day. It's a system. I do a lot of revision uh, as I go along because... I, frankly, I, I would the less I can do at the very end, the happier I am, because by that time, I'm ready to move on to a new project. Thank you. Lisa, you want to ask that other question? Thank yes, you. very interesting conversation. I really appreciate this. Your books have been translated into multiple languages, which is amazing, which is wonderful. You have a global readership. How do you ensure that your stories resonate with readers from different cultural backgrounds? I don't, because my books are mostly Western, contemporary Western romance. Mm -hmm. There are too many countries in the world, so I can't sit down mm -hmm. and say, I want to make these 
cowboys appealing to the Japanese. Maybe I'm misunderstanding your question. That that could be it, but... Well, I guess I was wondering, do any of your books ever get lost in translation, but you may never know, you know? I don't know because I don't speak the language. I speak a little bit of Spanish and a little bit of Italian, just enough to screw up both languages. (laughs) Because they're too similar, you know? Yeah. Thank you. What would you tell someone who's an aspiring author and writers or people who are published books? Is there anything in our group that you would suggest for encouraging words? Well, I would say that, first of all, don't just decide um, I I couldn't write. I just I have this Mm -hmm. or that limitation. I graduated from high school, never went to college and and I've done pretty well. Uh, I would tell people to not to not judge if they have a story in them that they want to tell them, tell it. I always tell people put it, get it down on paper. Or well, now I guess it eventually <laughs> up on paper. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it used to be get it on that screen, whatever. Because then when you have the whole manuscript, you can go back and shape it. It's like clay. My daughter's writing her first novel right now. And I've told her this. um, She's actually, I think someday she may support me. She's really a good writer. (laughs) Never give up. Uh, That Mm -hmm. was Churchill. Read everything you can, but especially if there's a kind of book that you want to write, Regencies, psychological thrillers or historicals or whatever you want to write, read a lot of that. Read the best people because there's a reason why they're the best people. I mean, as writers, it it has changed a lot. I wrote my first six books on a typewriter. And and then, you know, it was such a process. You wrote the book and that was only the first draft. So you had to go back through and retype it. Some people did copy and paste, but I didn't. I didn't like that. You had glue and paper on it. And uh, so you had to go back through it and then go back through it again after the editor had gone over it. And now... With computers, it's much easier if it is that you can edit as you go along. But as I said earlier, I write today's pages and tomorrow morning I read through them and and revise them and then go on writing. But mainly to, to believe in yourself if it's what you want to do. And also it's a little easier to start out with uh, today, and I, that might raise objections, but Traditional publishing is the same as it was. It's kind. Of, it's hard to break in, but you can build a platform. I know several people who mm-hmm. earn a good living writing and posting their own books on on yes. Amazon. So yeah, there, you have more options than we did when I was starting out. Thank you. And people can reach you through your website, right? The contact right, right. form. Just go to lindalelmiller.com. Yeah. And then then you have a book coming out. When did you say in the fall? My next one is coming out in the fall. It's sort of a Christmas book and it is historical in 1921. And I, and I really love this book and and love the characters and the, what the working title is these silver Hills, but I think they're going to change that. They almost always change the title. So (laughs) (laughs) when they do, it will be on my website. Well, we'll be looking forward to it always. And thank you so much for coming and being with us today. We, I just 
This has been really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you much. for having me. I Yeah. really enjoyed it. Lisa, would you like to share anything? And this has been a very interesting and uh, memorable interview for me. And I want to thank Linda Lell Miller. And her middle name is spelled L-A-E-L. -L. So Linda Leal Miller, if you want to get in touch with Yeah, her. it's Leal. It rhymes with sale Oh, Leal. and jail. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, I was practicing. that's okay. That's okay. It's a crazy name, you know. Anybody Leo. with that name is related to me. Ah, interesting. Okay, thank you. I didn't know that. Thank you again to the creative, tireless goddess energy of Cheryl McNeil. Yeah, she's amazing. It's amazing. This has been a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> interview. Appreciate it so much. you humble me. Oh, thank you. And we couldn't do it without Chanel or Brad, too, and everybody that's participated. So thank you so much. Thank you so Thanks, much, everybody. Linda. Thank Thank you. you. And we'll do the writing prompt for next week. Yes. Yes. So next week, 100 words or less, an animal of your choice, and the word perpetuate and astronomical. So good luck and let your imaginations fly. Could you repeat those words, please, one more time? An animal of your choice, one animal, perpetuate, <laughs> and astronomical. and Okay. genre of your choice as well. Yes, the genre of your choice. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, everybody, for being here with us for another really wonderful interview and program. And thank you to Chanel and Brad for being here and ACB Media for streaming us. So thank you. And if you want to learn more about Writing Works Wonders, go to www.writingworkswonders.com. Also, you can email us at info at writingworkswonders.com. And the show notes for this and all the other podcasts will be up on our website. And above all else, we want you to feel inspired and encouraged and enjoy the wonder of writing. Look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.